Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm the official Gom Jabbar of this podcast. If you stop talking about the movie, you're gonna get stabbed. I'm in a mouth. And I'm Britain, or uh, probably a real pincushion by the time this thing's done with. Because <laughs> we all know me and my proclivities. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, guys, we're back. <laughs> the journey yep. to episode 300 continues. Um, we haven't. We should. We should probably establish. So, our 200th episode, we did Dune. We don't. At the time, I don't know that we had a real justification for it. I think we, we thought decided it would be a funny joke. It would be fun to do Dune, <laughs> the yeah. the David Lynch movie. Um. There is f- filming should soon be underway for Dune Two, Dune Dune Part Two, I suppose. Uh, yeah. The counterpart to the movie we're talking about today, which is Dune, but also according to the title card, Dune Part One. Uh, so basically, we are m- much like uh, Paul Atreides. We are looking into the future and saying this yeah. will be a three movie franchise. Therefore, we are. Uh, going ahead and doing part one which is the second movie in this supposed <laughs> yeah so so this this film uh it should actually be called dune colon part of dune and then the next film should just be dune colon more dune <laughs> <laughs> dune colon some dune <laughs> uh, no, that, that's the Additional david lynch dune. one <laughs> yes so is Villeneuve, is he planning on doing just two of these, or is he yeah. going to do a trilogy? Oh. Is this just one in parts one and two? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I don't know. I, th- I, I feel, I feel f- like he could just do the book in two movies. For he got through so much of it. From what I've gleaned, he wants to just do the first book as the two films. I think yeah. beyond that, he has said he's interested in doing more of the books, but that's not been set yeah. in stone. Has it, hasn't there been discussion of a show? Has that floated Yeah, around? that's a Bene Gesserit like thing HBO. they're going to do. Oh, is that a different thing? Okay. I think it's going to be just about the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, I don't want him to just be the Dune guy, even though I did a good job with it. Because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're talking about Dune. Um, yep, a lot of desert in it. Mm-hmm. Six out of ten. We all like this movie more than it sounds like we do. We've also all <laughs> seen it before. <laughs> so. Well, it's... <laughs> I don't know. Alex, go ahead and say the things. Then yeah. We can... Sure. Dune from 2021, directed by Denis Villeneuve. It has an 83% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 90% audience score. Mm. Written, I, one thing that kind of sticks out in my brain is I remember the two of us talking about it after we watched it and us yeah. going, it's weird when your expectations are super high because it's Denis Villeneuve. You you know kind of what you're getting into. And then it exactly meets those expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember us both talking about how we just weren't surprised by it, which was yeah. a really weird thing because it was kind of like, well, I've seen Denis Villeneuve movies before. I know what Dune is. I think I'm pretty much – if this is good, I think I know how it will feel and look, yeah. and and it did. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like I thought it would look. It felt like I thought – and so in some ways, I think I may have liked it even more the second time around. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because I wasn't – I already kind of knew that I wouldn't be surprised. Because the first time I was like, okay, let's see. What do you what do you got, Denny? And then it was, I, I like, this is great, but I'm not, like, surprised that it, I'm just like, oh, okay, so it confirmed. You've confirmed everything I thought. 
Yeah. But in the second time around, I could actually just enjoy what he was doing. And what is he doing? Well, the synopsis reads thusly. Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, spice, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. It's funny how Dune has, like, some of the, a lot of the synopses I've read recently are full of, like, genre jargon. Mm -hmm. Lots of, like, they have to find the seven swords of Narcoleth to defeat the symbiote Garshno. Mm Mm-hmm. And this one is just like, not that, but it's Dune. <laughs> There's a man in it named Duncan Idaho. Correct. Like, I I find that fun. Yeah. If the dialogue that the princess delivered at the beginning of the David Lynch one, if it matched that style. Yeah. I think I would have been on board with that movie. <laughs> yeah, I think this is something, I know we haven't a best thing, worst thing, but I, I just have to ask this question because it's been burning on my mind alex from on a as someone because Britton and i have both read the book at various times um yes alex is somebody who's not read the book uh i'm an illiterate plebe yes correct uh who only reads uh star wars books for children (laughs) (laughs) but the dark side has cookies it's 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 either Jar Jar's Big Adventure or Ian Fleming novels. It's one or the other. <laughs> or, or, As I said, Star Wars books for children. I thought you were going to say Ian Fleming's Big Adventure. <laughs> um, he did write Chitty Chitty Bang really? Bang, right? That's yeah, he sure did. did. All right. That, well, I mean, there you uh, go. I was I was really also talking about Pia from one of the uh, James Bond books. <laughs> I was really talking about the Thrawn Childry or whatever it is. He <laughs> <laughs> accurate. <laughs> No, uh, I was going to ask on a on a scale of of one to you are now the Kwisatz Haderach and have the the visions of the future and are fully enlightened. Uh, how much less confused? How much more did you understand this this movie's version of Dune than the David Lynch Dune? Oh, I completely I understood basically everything. <laughs> like I I will I will stand stand fast by my uh, statements. Uh, back when we did the Dave Lynch film of that movie is borderline incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly like the first half hour when they just kind of dump names on you and it's not really clear what's going on. Um, and this movie does manage to keep basically all of the source material intact. Um, mm-hmm. I think kind of the big omission that I noticed was that it just doesn't explain the, uh, it, basically they say that spice is what allows them to teleport across galaxies but they don't really get into the how you know the mechanics of how that works and the fact that these weird alien looking beings are actually humans that have snorted enough spice that they've kind of like transcended like normal human life and they're able to like guide these ships around galaxies um they there is a reference to like the trip that the emperor takes to the atreides homeworld right uses up three navigators or would have used three navigators uh, but yeah, they they definitely toned down some of the that kind, of, and I'm sure things like that will pop up <clears throat> in the sequel. But yeah, well, um, like they don't really dive in to explain like what a mintat is. That like yeah. Stephen McKinley Henderson is essentially a robot, <laughs> and they don't really. But they don't kind of figure it out. But they didn't explain that in the David Lynch one either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's think. true. But, but um, yeah, like 
when the emperor isn't in this movie at all yeah (laughs) yeah i i think this movie does a good job of knowing exactly what it needs to divulge in terms of information um for the Mm -hmm. audience to understand what's going on i think there were a few times where i was still getting lost in just the alien jargon of things um like when she with the hand in the box scene and she's like, this is a gom jabbar and you know, it's a poison needle or whatever. I'm like, you could have just said poison needle. Why, why do we need a fancy term for the thing? Like, <laughs> cause um, gom jabbar is really, this is a jellical needle. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a poison needle. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So I, I think for the most part, this is a huge improvement and it's just, you know, because of the source material, it's still a little, confusing and sure. not necessarily off-putting because i still understood what was happening so i don't know so i i, I understand that... it a lot better i'll i'll say like i'm on a 90 percent on your scale oh, okay. how about that 90 okay. percent of the quiz outside Iraq. Uh, yeah uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty darn good <laughs> considering a, a jihad across the skies uh, in your name yeah um that's that's once you hit 91 percent. so hopefully by the end of the episode there you go you'll fill in the the details and be ready to war across the galaxy um at the end of the episode i'm just gonna turn you both you turned me into a freak (laughs) um i asked that because my best thing i'll go ahead and, and jump in is the way that this movie adapts the novel because this movie actually inserts it's <clears throat> I should say it's been a minute since I've read it. I think it's been a year or two. I actually read it for the first time not that long ago, but um probably a couple years. I don't know. I need to adjust for how long it's been since the pandemic started and broke my brain uh and everyone's brain in terms of time tracking. But point is, uh I believe this movie inserts especially in the first 20 minutes or so, there's a lot of scenes that are just set up scenes that replace uh, things that they tried to do with the uh, nineteen eighty whichever Dune. Um, there's the scene where the Emperor actually comes to, or the Emperor's voice herald comes yeah. to say, "Hey, you've been assigned to Arrakis," uh, and we see Leto Atreides accepting that, and we get so much out of the performances and the way that's presented and just the subtext of how everyone's reacting just from that alone, setting up like, Oh, this is not probably a good thing. And we understand ultimately there's this house. They're going to have to go to the desert planet now. Got it. Like there's, there's several scenes in a row like that. The scene between Leto, Leto, I think Jared Atreides. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jared Leto. Jared Leto. And, uh, and Paul, uh, the scene between the two of them where they're, uh, I think, in a graveyard kind of place and they're just talking about expectations and uh, kind of what their their house means. There, there's an entire through line that I think is inserted into the movie about how uh, Paul's grandfather used to wrestle bulls and they kind of revisit that. I often. caught on I, to that this time. I complete. This is my third yeah. time watching it. I completely just like <laughs> missed that entirely. The first couple of watches. Yeah, they they bring they bring a bull's head to yeah. Arrakis, and I think there's a statue, like a little statue that is it, like they, that comes up a few times as kind of a a symbol of House Atreides kind of fighting against uh, difficult odds or, or being um, reckless. Maybe I don't like there's. 
there's something thematic there going on that I quite like. Uh, and there, there's a lot of little inserts like that. I, I, again, I could be wrong. Maybe some of that is in the book and I'm, I'm missing it, but I'm pretty sure the book, if I'm not mistaken, I, sh- I should probably go like find a copy while we talk about this. So I'm not completely, uh, off the, off the rails here. I believe it starts with the Gamjabar scene. Um, and then we kind of play out from that. Uh, it might, it might do that and then like go backwards. Oh, there we go. Britain's got the book. Britain, let us know what the first chapter is, but I will look, I've, I've I can pull out my copy of the first book of the Thrawn trilogy if we think yeah, that'll help. Let me know what's going on there too. That'd be good to know. Um, <laughs> there's uh, a basically there's a series of scenes in both the the 80s movie and this movie that kind of follow the same. They they track the same scenes. They are directly out of the book. The dialogue might be modified a little bit, but like once um, Paul is fighting with Gurney Halleck. Uh, with the, the knives and the shields that is all there there's a, a stretch there where it's all pretty much the same thing right um and and that's right out of the book but there's several scenes in the in the opening that are inserted there kind of like the 80s movie tried to insert this thing where it's like what if we go to look at the emperor's court and try to explain all the politics in 20 minutes or le- more like 10 minutes i guess uh <laughs> and there's weird character designs uh this movie takes the much subtler and more appreciated approach of uh, kind of just giving us some time with the characters, helping us really get in the shoes of how they feel and how they're reacting to the situations around them. It's it's not just a bunch of words being thrown at you. Uh, and I think it's a really, really effective adaptation. And there's, there's more of that. There's more just visually. There's ways that scenes are introduced. Uh, I'm thinking of one that springs to mind is uh, Rebecca Ferguson when she's watching the Bene Gesserit ship come down uh, before the Gamjabar scene. That's like very dark and brooding and it's coming down through the trees and she's freaking out. You can tell she's really scared and it's like a totally wordless scene, uh, but it says so much about just how she's feeling and how ominous this, this cult thing is. Uh, and yeah, there, there's a ton of great stuff like that. Um, especially early on to really settle you in the, in the world. It's, I think it's incredibly impressive. Like I, the, I feel like I should be saying my best thing is the visuals because the movie is completely gorgeous and we'll talk about that. Um, but somehow this is like, that's again, talking about expectations. That's not what impressed me. Cause I was like, yep. Thought, thought we might be getting a really good looking movie out of this. Uh, but I was not really expecting it to be that effective at presenting the story and, and helping you kind of ground and with the characters. So I really liked it. I, I think adaptation wise, especially it's, it's really impressive. Uh, but it does open with Ganjabar. Okay. That's what I was thinking. And I don't remember if it just plays straight off of that and then keeps moving forward. Or if there, I don't remember if there's like scenes, it may jump back after that a few days or something, but like Ty- essentially, yes. Tyler, I think I lost track because we covered a lot of ground there. Did you have a worse thing? I have not gotten to my worst thing yet. Okay. Which is my best thing. <laughs> you looked like you were passing off the baton. I was like, wait, yeah, I yeah. feel like I'm missing half. half oh, no, I was, I was asking Britton what his findings were. Gotcha. What his research was. Uh, I also found a Valentine from an ex-girlfriend, so I haven't opened this book in years. <laughs> <laughs> that is the day yeah. after Valentine's Day, huh? I know. Isn't that funny? Gosh, uh, time, huh? Spo- spoilers? <laughs> we're recording this the day after Valentine's Day. Yeah, this is our Valentine's episode. This is a movie sort of? about love. It's a love of... Sort uh, of, yeah. Power. 
Uh huh. And sand. And, and? Ta- tasty drug sand. <laughs> Desert power. Which is kind of like Candy Hearts, if you think and about And listen, it. a pretty tasty Duke. Let's be honest, guys. <laughs> hey. Is Oscar Isaac's sexiest role this or Poe Dameron? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's your I think it's thing? Apocalypse. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. Tyler, <laughs> I mean. if you weren't going to say it, I was. <laughs> um... As far as my worst thing, this is, it feels pretty nitpicky, but I think it sticks out to me because the movie looks so good. I don't love the way some of the hand-to-hand fighting looks. Mm. Um, I feel like sometimes it's a little bit, it's not, it's not even bad. I mean, it's, it works. It, it demonstrates things, but I feel like that's one area where it could be a little bit more effective because there, there's a lot of like everything's moving so quickly and people are kind of rolling over each other and, and swinging yeah. and swiping. Uh, and so you get some of the stuff early on that sets up the, the cool idea of the shield. It, it allows you to pass the knife through slowly, but if you, if you move it quickly, it'll bounce off. Um, that was that, presented so much better in this than the David sure, Lynch one. Sure. I had no idea what was going on in that movie. Just, just with like, regards to the the yeah. shield logic, yeah. Well, also yeah. the the visual effects in the old one made it look like they were in giant like Jello cubes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was great. Um, and there's bits throughout the movie that reference back to that, but a lot of the hand hand fighting still just kind of becomes yeah. They're swiping around with knives and sure. They, they swipe. like that. There's something about the the way those scenes are shot that doesn't quite click for me in a way that I enjoy. I don't know. Uh, we, we did just watch John Wick, like the entire series a month ago. So maybe I'm holding it up to loftier standards than I should, but it it feels a little basic and straightforward in terms of the way that that's presented. I wonder if the idea is it's supposed to be super straightforward and they're not making a big show of it, particularly because a lot of that, that I I think you're, you're speaking of is specifically when the Harkonnen Mm. uh, hordes kind of invade. Um, and they take out all the Atreides soldiers. I don't think it's supposed to be like super, like overly choreographed, like action scenes that are meant to enhance I- it. And then also, I think just because of the sound effects that they've tried, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that they're going with, with the shields, it's not like we get tons of impact sounds of like bone yep. crunching or, or, you know, people getting hit or anything like that. It's basically like you're saying, Tyler, it's like a bunch of slicing sounds. Yeah. So well, a lot of the impact just audio wise is kind of just not there by design right um i was gonna say though that like even stuff with duncan idaho fighting off the making his last stand sure uh against the the guards uh even stuff like that yeah i mean it again it it works Uh, visually i understand what's going on i could see the entire fight that's that's already a big leg up on a lot of movies uh but it was it i was and maybe some of it too is knowing that as the book goes on, it's only going to play more into um, the mechanics of the fighting and how much like one-on-one duels and stuff, how they work. Uh, so I don't know. I would like to see some more of that. in I guess the big group fighting, They'll probably still do it well in the sequel, regardless. I'm not, like, too worried about it, but I feel like it's just not as creative as it could be. 
What did you think about the uh, future fight that Paul sees of him uh, in a Power Ranger suit with terrible CGI, <laughs> like running around? Uh, terrible. I was gonna say I actually don't. The mind opening the CGI. when uh, everything else looks good, but when that helmet opens and his face is in there, that's that looks uh, very shoddy. I, I don't know. I was paying attention because I know you've pointed that out before, and watching it this time, I think I feel like what's really making it jarring for you alex is that his eyes are blue like i think if that was the if that if his eyes weren't blue and it was just his normal face inside of that i don't think it would be nearly as obvious like that it's very digital i feel like it wouldn't stand out as much i feel like the the overall image looks very strange because he's got cgi armor on and he's got cgi eyes that are like totally blue yeah i think i non-human looking yeah, I, th- I think I-, I was also looking for that really closely. I think for me, the thing that made it look not so great is just that the rest of the f- effects in the movie look so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Like the effects are so strong that it was like, okay, that's like the one blemish that stands out so much more because it's like the only blemish. Right. And I and I didn't know is it is it he wearing is it Chalamet with CJ armor or is it a guy in armor that they've CGI'd his face over? Mm-hmm. Like, I have I feel, but... feel that that whole sequence is probably most if not completely cg yeah and then they just superimpose chalamet's face in there at the end and i think that's i mean it could be the blue eyes i don't think it is i think i can tell that it's just kind of it feels like a a decent attempt i get to just you know kind of copy and paste chalamet's face inside of that helmet um Mm. but I, i to me it's very distracting but then again most Marvel movies, when they do that, I find distracting. So, sure. I have yeah. that eye. I have that radar. <laughs> well, when when the Oscar nominations were announced that Dune got 10, one of which is for visual effects, Alex just sent us both a text in all caps that said, FREE GUY! <laughs> so I think we know who he's rooting for yes. <laughs> come yes. Oscar night, Hollywood's biggest night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, his FREE GUY tea guy shirt. Correct. And by free guy, I meant no time to die because James Bond is now free of his family. Yeah. No, no time to die. <laughs> That's what that movie's about. <laughs> That's what that movie's about, Alex. You're right. No time to die is the story of a man who desperately doesn't want to be married hey. and have a daughter. So he gets himself blown up by a bunch of missiles. Look, if you're like a really cynical, like I, I love like classic Bond and like all of the bad things that people should not like about Bond, you would have that reading on that film. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> everyone's talking about no time to die but what about you know our free time to guy like this, you know <laughs> is it too late to change this the name is... of the podcast <laughs> this is a this is a sponsor uh, an attempt to attempt to attract a sponsor for Elden Ring which comes out in two weekends and uh, which I'm going to be uh, scrambling to find time to play um as far as the uh, future scene where Paul Atreides sees a large CGI battle uh, with a bunch of suits, su- suited warriors, I see even then like the CGI doesn't bother me too much. But the I feel like it's the same thing of the, there's a lot of just like there's some cool stuff there. There's guys like rolling over each other. But yeah, I guess the overall the combat in the movie often feels very weightless. And I think some of that is they are trying to figure out what it would look like with these shields. But I think that they could have been more creative in the approach to, to make that pop and like be really interesting. 
I wonder if it's, it's also because I'm I'm thinking of comparing it to like other just normal just like sword versus sword sequences like yes. um Aragorn versus the Urukai at the end of Fellowship of the Ring and that's like that's very dynamic you have the clanging of the swords and it's it's very visual the two swords blocking each other and maybe it's the fact that with each move even if the shield is blocking it it looks like a kill shot it looks like yeah. somebody is supposed to be actually getting stabbed but the shield is protecting them i don't know yeah and I, there's something I just unusual about it, it it's hard to to know what's supposed to be effective like it's like yeah it's hard to know i guess maybe what was effective after they've done the swipe it's like oh was that slow enough <laughs> did it, yeah. did it yeah. cut them or what did it yeah yeah a little bit strange at least it's not two jello blocks just clanging into each other for five well, minutes you know we all yeah. have our preferences yeah different strokes my best thing about the movie is I honestly there are a bunch of things I could pick. I'm just gonna go with just the 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 craft of it. Um I mentioned the ten Oscar nominations. I think it's nominated in like every below the line category. Mm. And I think every one of them is deserved. It's also up for best picture. Cause like that was the thing that I really and I think this movie goes by really quickly and we'll talk more about the actual adaptation of it and the script and everything, but it's so beautifully built. Like the production design is brilliant. The costumes are great. The effects are phenomenal, e- barring the the CGI thing. They're the the face armor, but um, literally one shot. That's all I'm yeah. complaining about. Literally, literally one shot. There are so many shots in that movie where I'm like, that's real. They yeah. built they built that plane. <laughs> that's yeah. just a real thing they built. But the effect and the music is stunning. It is mm-hmm. so good from Hans the Lion King Zimmer. Um, the only time Hans Zimmer has won an Oscar is for The Lion King, which is not a bad thing. The Lion King is great, but I just want to point that out. It wasn't um, Dark Phoenix? It was not Dark Phoenix. No, lost that one out to uh, Pre-Guy, which was the <laughs> prequel to Free Guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, but I, the music is really wonderful. Uh, I don't want to assume i'm copying alex's best stuff here i just want to mention that like it's this brilliant combination there's like bagpipes and like different kinds of vocalization and just your, your traditional just big movie fair they play bagpipes over a giant battle sequence as the mm-hmm. uh, as the atreides thing is being destroyed and it's so effective because it's like we're playing the atreides theme as the atreides are getting obliterated it's a, it's just such a wonderfully built movie and it's gorgeously shot. Um, it's, it's the cinema. I've, I've been like compiling my best ofs for the year in various ways. And cinematography, it's a tougher year than I first thought it would be. And cinematography is, is a really competitive one because there's a lot of really pretty looking movies this year. But this movie is absolutely one of the best. It's so gorgeous, I think. And even though I do find the movie compelling narratively, it's just a great movie to look at and listen mm-hmm. to and just live in for a while like it's it's just wonderful as far as the worst thing it's nothing about the movie really bothered me so i'm gonna just say that i wish we had more time with certain cast members i think the cast is fantastic and we'll we'll of course go through i definitely want to talk about jason momoa but i would have loved to get more gotten more time with him i would have loved to have gotten more time with sharon duncan brewster i think is her name who played uh kinds would have been good to get some more time with Oscar Isaac. And some of those folks we're going to see in the next movie. Um, 
So I like I'm not as worried about not getting more Although, Javier Bardem time. N- none of those folks that you just mentioned. So. <laughs> no, exactly. That's the thing. So it's like all these characters that die in this movie, I understand, and it makes sense narratively, mm-hmm. and it all works. And I, I'm very excited to see more of Javier Bardem in the next one. But I would have loved to have gotten extra time with some of these folks in this movie because there's just everybody in the movie is really strong. Um, there's a lot of just fun performances of various types, and so it would have been nice to get some extra time. But I also understand why we didn't. So, Alex. My best thing is going to be world building. All right, then. And, Tyler, I think this this perfectly is in line with the question you asked me at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. I think the movie just does a really good job about of laying out how, how this world functions and, and kind of all the terminology, who all the key players are. It doesn't get bogged down in, in kind of details in a way that just kind of completely halts the plot. I love that we have um, Timothy Chalamet, just Paul, having scenes of learning about the world. Like, that's a wonderful way to get exposition across in a very quick way of just, like, he's learning about Arrakis. He's learning about the the people there and and what to expect in terms of the dangers. Um, I think that might be our first mention of giant sandworms. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, I think like it, the movie just kind of sneaks in really clever ways of, of just getting the exposition across, which, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about that was kind of the, the killing blow to the David Lynch film. And just to kind of reiterate, I don't think any of us pin that one on David Lynch. Obviously, that was right. kind of like studio nah. meddling, like he was in over his head, like there's just a lot of factors at play and he didn't have final cut, which mm-hmm. why would you do that to David Lynch? But um yeah, this this film just I understood what was happening the whole time. And maybe I'm just like looking at it in a super positive way because the David Lynch version was failing at that literally during every scene. Um but I I think this is on par with something like Lord of the Rings in terms of just like mm-hmm. now this feels like a fully realized world. And I've seen interviews with Denis Villeneuve where he was like, you know, I'm when I was working with the concept um, artists on, on kind of building out what the world looked like and whatnot, we weren't inserting a whole bunch of our own ideas and whatever we were going as, as straight up the book as we could. Um, Which I definitely think you shouldn't always do that for every adaptation. Some things need to be changed, but you know, I mentioned several weeks ago that I watched uh, Hodorowsky's Dune, that documentary about the, the <laughs> failed attempt to make that movie back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I don't want that version. This, <laughs> like, th- this feels like the perfect way to handle this material. Yeah. Um, because the book, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler and Britton, the book feels so focused on kind of the world building aspect and like the details matter and that stuff matters that to just like throw that away and be like, no, we're kind of just doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. I, that feels like it would be an insult to the source material. Yeah. So that's my best thing. Worst thing. My worst thing's not going to matter in a couple of years. Once the second part comes out, it's that this, the story's incomplete. Sure. I, I yeah. it's half a movie. Um, it's a good half a movie. It's a good two and a half hours, but it's still half a movie. Um, I get, I got to the end of the, the story and I was like, first time I watched it, I, I, I didn't even feel like Paul had a real character arc. 
having seen it a couple more times, there is an actual character arc there that I actually mm-hmm. really like. Um, it's just more subtle than I thought. Um, but plot-wise, it's the first half of Dune. And, yeah. you know, once, like I said, once I have that second part, it won't be an issue at all. I can watch the first film, then literally take it out and pop the second one in and watch them back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And but I assume ha- they'll be released. Well, I guess you already own the first one. I was going to say, I assume they'll be there'll be a, a nice box set i don't actually own the first one well there we go then yeah i think i think we'll probably get like a won't even be it'll be good yeah fingers crossed but i i look at something like fellowship of the ring and maybe that's because that movie is three to four hours i don't know but that even though it is the first part of a larger story that feels like a complete piece on its own in a way that this doesn't yeah if that makes any sense. Yeah, and yeah. and I don't know that there is a way to cut Dune. Yeah, I think it's it. it's just the nature of the beast. I don't think there's a way that you could have like completely restructured it to be like, nope, part one is going to feel like a standalone story. Yeah. And I'm not asking it to do that. It's just that was one thing that bothered me when I got to the end of the film. Totally. Yeah. I will say, That's though, it. it also helps because... I feel like for the last few weeks, as we've been doing catch-up stuff, I've been talking a lot about runtimes. <laughs> I've been very focused on... Because you notice them a lot more if you've seen the movie, and yeah. especially with COVID having shortened a lot of the, the ways that these movies get released, we are able to cover these even quicker, or like get back to these even quicker than we normally would. And so these are movies that are like really fresh in my brain, and then I'm trying to sit there and... like actually pay attention to them um this i can't be upset about the fact that it's a longer movie because it's adapting the book effectively uh and also it looks really good and so it's very easy to sit there and like even if i get distracted for a second i'll like look up again and be like what's happening again and then i'll just be mesmerized (laughs) for it like i'll just be sucked back (laughs) in immediately because it looks so good like you're saying the craft and like yeah it is the most I think absorbing any fictional space worlds I've ever looked to me. I can't really think of other movies that I've done it this well to where I feel like this is something that exists. And this is a place that you could like it. I mean, it really does feel like Lord of the Rings in that way, where it's like, this is a world that they have created using a bunch of film tricks to make you feel like this thing exists and is just, out there like somewhere uh it's really cool it's really really cool yeah and we're all i know we're all fans of arrival um which uh i i I have seen it once yeah i bounced off of it a little bit in the theater it's also not the the greatest theater experience so i should probably yeah i've i've heard y'all talk about that i i haven't watched it full through since the first time i saw it but that that movie is similarly based on a sort of high concept short story, which I I've read the short story and I quite liked it. Um, and I think that movie is also strangely accessible for being what it's about and the twist mm-hmm. being what it is yeah. to be able to. And Villeneuve, I think, usually co-writes his movies. He doesn't tend. I think Enemy, which I love, I think he wrote that by himself, but. Usually he has other writers there with him, but the, he's still the director and just the way he manages to assemble these things in a way that is 
accessible and cohesive, even though they are very dense and, and large. It's, mm-hmm. it's impressive. One of the screenwriters for this is Eric Roth, who wrote among other who has worked on among other things, A Star Is Born, uh, mm-hmm. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Ali, The Insider, and Forrest Gump. <laughs> so I think he just kind of does movies. Sure. He is just he just sort of writes kind of like Stephen Knight or something. And I think John Spates he's he's done other science fiction fantasy things. I think he okay. had a pass at Doctor Strange, and he actually had the original script for Prometheus back when it was <laughs> a more straightforward alien prequel. Um, and then they brought on Damon Lindelof to just throw in a bunch of mystery yeah. boxes. Sure. <laughs> well, and I guess similarly, even Blade Runner twenty forty nine being a fairly cohesive movie compared to its predecessor. Uh, that mm-hmm. movie, every time I watch that movie, I'm like, oh, it's even more of a masterpiece than I thought. He's so he's so good. Uh, Mackenzie Davis is in that. She's great. Um, no, I was, I'm just so impressed by this. Because remember, I felt this way the first time I watched it and this time around. It It's strange to me to be saying that a Denis Villeneuve adaptation of Dune moves quickly, but it does. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very efficient. And the movie doesn't feel... Uh, like we talked about with Venom, how that movie was dedicated to being 90 minutes. It's like, all right, next scene, go, let's go, go, go. But this, the scenes all feel like they're, they're taking their time. The scenes always yeah. feel lived in. You don't get the feeling that the actors are rushing through their dialogue, like on a sitcom where they got to, you know, make fit it all in before the commercial break. Um, it, everything feels very measured and it, it, it doesn't really feel like overstuffed, but it also doesn't feel I don't know, over chopped. Like it, it's a very measured experience where I'm always like, no, this is where we are. We're in this conversation. We're in this location. We're getting this info. And that's all we needed from that. And now we can go on to the next scene. And even if it's just an insert of people walking or looking at a garden or something, it still adds something and means something, even if you can't really quantify it. Um, it's just really, it's just impressive filmmaking. <laughs> like it's just, it, it's the kind of thing when you watch a really well-made movie, it can kind of trick you into thinking it's easier than it is <laughs> yeah. because you see people who just know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And like you watch a Spielberg or a Villeneuve and they just put it across and you're like, Oh, right. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and that, I don't know. It's crazy. It just speaks to the magic of not just filmmaking, but also just film editing. Yes. Because <laughs> you go and watch the eighties Dune and all of this is truncated in the first hour. Right. And it somehow feels infinitely longer than this entire (laughs) film. Um, I think I remember having the the thought that if you're trying to kind of truncate things, because that once you get to the second half and they're like, we're riding sandworms, we're liberating everyone. uh, We're getting to the fight with Sting. Um, (laughs) That movie feels like it's rushing at the very end to try and wrap everything up. Oh, Paul is Dune God now. Is that in the book? Who cares? Now we're done. Um, yes. but I remember having the thought of like, well, if you felt like you had to rush everything at the end, why not have the fall of the house of Atreides be like the first half hour, not the whole hour. Right. But like you get to this film and it's like, no, we don't even have to worry about like, that's not even a concern. We have as much time as we need. Yeah. I don't really like the approach that Warner brothers and Villeneuve took of the, uh, you know, We'll see how it does before we greenlight part two. 
I don't like that, but yeah. I'm glad they, I mean, have, I don't, they are making part two, so I can't complain it, too much. The vibe I get is that Villeneuve the entire time was like, I'm making part one. People will be mad if you don't let me make part two. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, do with that as you will, uh, Brothers Warner. He's um, like, look, 2049 didn't end on a cliffhanger. This one does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys think that coming to America or Cruella is going to beat Dune for makeup and hairstyling? Probably Cruella. Probably Cruella. Um, now, when I don't it. look up when's film editing. That's going to be <laughs> something that happened. I never saw Bohemian Rhapsody. So, sure. <laughs> or I haven't seen Don't Look Up. Look, look at me throwing shade like I'm a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So not many trees on Dune. No, but there's there few... are the there are palm trees. Yeah, that that there the gardener is... talks about. Yeah, there's a scene where Paul's talking to the gardener, and the gardener's like, "Hey, I'm making these these palm trees. They're they they grow dates, and they're sacred." And Paul, because Paul's like, "Well, why you're you're spending all this water on them, and that's water that could keep people alive? What you know? What what's the deal?" And he's like, "Oh, they're sacred. They're really important that we have these." Uh, th- there are a bunch of scenes like that that I totally did not remember catching the first time around <laughs> yeah like there's there's again the the pace is so quick and there, there's so much packed in there in a way that feels so effortless that there's tons of just character again world building little little pieces of context that just kind of ripple in and out uh yeah and completely the the movie just flies through them and you could totally miss them uh or or not like give them the attention they deserve it's it's really interesting i don't know how they pulled it off one there's so much like expository dialogue that doesn't feel like exposition dumping Mm -hmm. because it always feels like the character's having a conversation and that characters are asking questions that they would be asking it is for the audience but it's also for the characters and so you have even if it's reiterating things it never feels like they're consistently going well spice you know spice that's really important oh sure spice yeah, I don't know. And they never bother to explain why the uh, Baron can float. Who cares? He can yeah. float. It's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It looks great. And they even do a full, like, he says something, I don't know, something ominous. And then they just do a wide shot of him floating up. And there's yes. this, like, boom. It's sound. terrifying. It's so good. Um, yeah, I I think the, the, the way that they get across the politics of why this is happening where it's yeah. all right the harkonnens they're on arrakis they they hate the place and the place hates them and the emperor is saying hey y'all get out of here a tra- house of Atreides, they're rising in power i want to deal with them i'm going to send them to arrakis and then and then i'll i'll help you take it back over and so it'll be this 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 big coup thing where i never get directly implicated you get your place back with all your spice and and we knock out House of Trades. Everyone's happy. Like that's really all it is. That that's the, the core of the story. And the original movie makes that so dense and difficult and yeah. does not come across in the slightest. Where this gets that across in like three conversations between <laughs> you've got like the Harkonnens, they talk a bit about it. And you got that scene, like I was saying, with the Emperor's Herald coming to let them know what the deal is and on the Atreides planet. And then there's, uh, again, it's really just Leto talking to Paul. And they're 
talking through like what this means and the the consequences this could have and what this could do for their house. Like there's just a few conversations that totally paint that picture without you having to really get bogged down on, Oh, who's that guy? And who's that guy? What's this character? What are they? Oh, it's all, it's all about what these characters are feeling and and what their ambitions are. That's all you need to know. And you understand. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's amazing. I don't know how they pulled it off. No, totally. But Tyler, I didn't have every character narrating. Like, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't follow it. I forgot about that. That was funny. I couldn't. I needed I more w- Timothy Chalamet whispering. <laughs> I needed more. Mm-hmm. What, you uh, guys- Britton, are, are, are you telling me you didn't like the, you didn't love the scene where Dr. Yue was leaning over Oscar Isaac and going, now I, I you, all you have to do is bite down on your tooth when the Baron gets close to you and it activates an EMP. Now that's that's his for electromagnetic pulse, which And Baron Harkonnen's floating device will collapse, <laughs> putting him in the perfect kill shot. You'll apply extra molar pressure, which will deactivate. mandibular. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, did you guys have a favorite performance in the movie? That's a very good question. Uh, I, cause I, I can go first. I think mine, it's really tough to pick, but I think I do come down to Jason Momoa this time around. So I'm, I'm watching his Apple TV show, uh, C, mm. which I'm still kind of figuring out my, my overall thoughts on it. And that, that show really just drives home. Like he's a great action performer but they don't let him like be fun and he's a really fun performer. Yeah. And I think like he was really good in Game of Thrones and and everything, but what I love about him in this movie is he gets to do all the action stuff and he gets to be cool. But like every everyone in the movie talks like we're sort of used to fantasy and sci-fi characters talking. It's sort of formalized and they have a sort of intonation that they do. And he just talks like a contemporary like guy. He just comes in, yeah, well, you know, they're here on Caladan, and then we got to head out to... But it works so well, and it, it it's a juxtaposition that feels so organic in mm-hmm. the movie. And he has this great relationship with Chalamet, and he's like, oh, you put on muscle. Really? No. See ya, <laughs> See ya on Arrakis, and he's just gone. It, yeah, and they don't they don't have to give him a, a country accent or anything no, like that. No, no. It's just kind of like you you feel like that would be something that they would do to be like, uh, this guy's supposed to be kind of yeah, uh, against the grain. How do we how do we paint that? He doesn't have like sure. a cowboy like, hat or like spurs or something. Yeah, it can just be a little subtle. Yeah, yeah. and and I think like his voice is so great, his intonation is so great. Like I definitely think this is my favorite Momoa performance. And and again, <laughs> I think Momoa is someone who's I don't think he's like a master thespian or anything. But I think he's just someone who is often asked to only be like cool and badass. And it's like, no, he's let him. Like, I think that was one of our my issues with some of the stuff in Aquaman is like, let him be fun. He's fun. Mm-hmm. Whenever yeah. he's whenever he gets a joke, like it, he, he just completely lightens up and, and things mm-hmm. are so much more enjoyable. So, yeah, I just thought he was terrific in this. Have we ever gotten a firm uh, answer on Duncan Idaho? What do you like, about it? Just that that name <laughs> choice. Have Question. We... I think Frank was having just a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is it is a very different kind of name. But that almost yeah, I don't know why, but I love it. Like that I'm seems to match. Idaho. 
like it seems to match like the fact that he kind of has a different personality. He almost feels like he belongs in a different movie. It's almost like if you had Han Solo in the Star Wars prequels. Sure. Sure. But here it totally works. Yeah. Just with the the context of the character. But that name. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. I, I'm pretty sure they refrain from saying Dyke, Duncan Idaho. Like they just refer to him as Duncan. <laughs> I think the no, only that's... time... Like one of the bat, one of the uh, Harkonnens, they're talking about the Sadakar and everything. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they're, they're, like, they're trying they to would... build up, like, oh, they've been trained by uh, Gurney Duncan and Duncan Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. yeah. That's and true. Then the, and the Emperor's like, I'm going to show you Sadakar how to do a real bicycle kick. <laughs> <laughs> I think my. <laughs> It's hard to say because he has just a few scenes. I think Stellan Skarsgård might actually be mine mm-hmm. as the Baron. He's great. And that's just Man. because that could so easily just be a joke. I think yep. just the, the image, and, and we we had this problem with the, the, the Lynch Dune of just like, it's a flying fat guy. It just looks really silly. Yeah, but that and was really And even in fun. this... Like when they reveal, like he starts levitating, he's like, "This is my my world, my dune." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm kind of terrified." <laughs> like every yeah. scene he's in, and he's super intimidating. Oh, when yeah, he like kills he, he, uh, yeah. Doctor Yua, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a where he floats all the way across the table. The the way that is shot, the way that is framed, is so because you you have uh, Leto is like lying against the the chair naked, uh, yeah. and um, the Baron floats across the table, but we don't really see him doing it. We see it out of the corner of... It reminds me, for for some reason, it gives me vibes of Legion, the uh, FX show. Sure. The way that that show would kind of put, like, creepy things in the background and just kind of yeah. poke around a bit. and make, It plays a little bit be, with shadows. <laughs> yeah, make your brain be like, what's going on over there? Um, It's horrifying, and I love it. No, there, there's that where he's like... he When he's sitting there just eating... In yeah. front of Leto, he mm-hmm. looks like he's like a Denethor mad a pudding. It's great. Mm-hmm. Look, Tyler, what you were missing in the in the background there, that wide shot of uh, the Baron floating over. Tony Collette was up in the the, the wall <laughs> in the corner of one of the walls in the back. Look, you can't notice unless you're 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 waiting there. It's in, in, it only lasts a few seconds that shot, but yeah. if it lasted like a full thirty seconds, then you would slowly see mm-hmm. her in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and David Dasmalshan is in the corner, just going. <laughs> Because he is in this movie, and it's fun to see him. Yeah. Yes. He's just he's just getting there. You know, he's, he's yeah. wearing a bald cap, getting that paycheck. He, he got all those polka dots off of him, uh-huh. clearly. Uh. Um, man, I don't know who my favorite performance in this would be. I, I think it would come down to actually Oscar Isaac or Rebecca Ferguson. Sure. Totally. I think I think both of them yeah, do a lot in this. with Oscar Isaac, especially with how little he gets like the just in the overall content of the movie like he get yeah. there's so much that comes across but rebecca Ferguson too like marvelous there's there's a ton of great stuff in there um i really picked up more on kind of what they're doing with the voice and the way mm-hmm. that the Bene Gesserit powers kind of work more in this um and i think that that interplay and the way she's kind of coaching uh paul is really interesting and really well done. yeah oh, they yeah, also no, they uh I was going to say real quick, they don't have Paul say the words uh, or think the words uh, when in the Gobbin Jabbar scene. I believe the bye book bye, is... man. Yeah. 
Bye bye, man. Um, <laughs> I believe uh, Beetlejuice. I don't know. In the, in the book, he either says or he thinks the uh, fear is the mind killer, etc., uh, etc. Et yeah. Um, and in this one, they actually have Rebecca Ferguson say that outside of the kind of arena, trying to like or arena uh, outside of the room that is happening in, trying to kind of uh, both help herself and sort of sending good vibes to Paul uh, to work through it and, and and fight through it. Um, and so that's a really interesting angle to really frame how, how terrifying it is for her again, going with the Bene Gesserit ship coming down um, how she plays that in terms of being so terrified for Paul and how yeah. much she just wants, she just cares about him as a son uh, first and foremost, above all of the insanity with, the prophecy and, and what's gone on there and the, the way she's kind of broken the tradition and like all of that stuff. Uh, it, it, th- there's a lot going on to that character and that performance and mm-hmm. she does a great job. Completely. And I agree about Oscar Isaac. I think that like, I don't even really remember Lita from the original movie and it's so easy to make him just like the guy who dies and then other stuff happens because of yeah. it, but he's a character in the movie and he has like feelings and a, and a presence. And part of that's because, mm-hmm. We just love Oscar Isaac, but like it's really strong work. I really enjoyed Javier Bardem in his like two scenes. I really like when he first shows up and he just like spits on the floor <laughs> and they're chatting and he goes, That was honorable. All right, I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> he just like <laughs> just that's it. I have nothing more to say. I'm, I'm All right, we're good. <laughs> and he just like walks away. It's fantastic. And um uh always good to see Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know fun fun to see him uh we don't see the body <laughs> so <laughs> probably gonna get a little more gurney in the next movie i believe so i think we should I also see because i think patrick stewart played him in the original yeah and i think patrick stewart and like in the third act or whatever yeah. comes back and he's like yes hello mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes he does yeah now now so it, uh, major characters that we didn't see like fade routh is not in this movie yes the emperor is not in this movie is princess irulan a active character in the book do you remember tyler mm, i know she knows so quotes but yes exactly so the book before i think every chapter or maybe just certain sections uh there's quotes of her describing things from far in the future okay. that happen historically because okay. she's uh spoilers i believe ends up married to paul um is how all that works out uh and so she's like describing what happened to her knowledge in the past. I, okay, I think yeah, that's how that yeah. works. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And so that's why they kind of tried to work her into the original movie, but she doesn't actually show up in the plot until the end of the, the book. Yeah. So, and and I guess the only other one is, and she, she wouldn't have been in this part anyway, but is the daughter. Um, yeah. The creepy little kid. Yeah. Cause there's a, there should be a time jump in between right right the parts that they kind of selected yeah um because they talk about her being about rebecca ferguson being pregnant but um and that is i, I don't know if the, Stephen mckinley henderson is comes back or not i can't remember i just yeah, like that actor he, so he's he he's got stuff to do with fader in uh yeah on the yeah. baron planet so okay we'll, uh, i remember his character is has more in the lynch movie okay. yes further on I think he gets like a scene or two and then he just kind of disappears if I remember correctly. No, he, yeah, he's got like a whole thing going on over there. Yeah. So, okay, good. That, he I should come back. Actor. Mm-hmm. Dave Batista is in here and he yells and that's mm-hmm. cool. And mm-hmm. then yeah. 
Second time with Denis Villeneuve. I love that Dave Batista is one of Denis Villeneuve's regulars now. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's delightful. Um, this like French Canadian uh, art director, not art director, but you know, auteur. sure. Sure. Uh, uh, do we, do we want to address the, the Timothy Chalamet of it all? Um, I think he's fine in this. There, there are definitely times in my life where I felt like he is overrated because I, I, th- I think sometimes people go, he's dour and has high cheekbones. He's a great actor. And I'm like, it's not, you need more than that. <laughs> um, and I do think he has more than that. Mm-hmm. But I think he's fine in this. I think, like you said, the, the arc is more subtle. And so, I don't know. He doesn't thrill me, but that's generally my opinion on Timothy Chalamet. I don't think he's like a terrible actor or anything, but, you know. And... It's it's hard to tell because Dune was written so far ahead of like a lot of our modern franchises that use the chosen one trope. Yes. Yeah. So it's hard to tell how much of it is like intentionally he's treated as kind of a blank slate. Um, to a certain degree, that's to make him an insert character for the audience, particularly in the context of this film with the exposition and everything. But I wonder in terms of kind of the way the chosen one arc plays out and this already appears to be leaning on the more cynical side of of maybe that's not something that should be used maybe that's mm-hmm. a trope that's maybe not doesn't lead to good things um yeah, Fr- frank herbert definitely had some like there there was some jfk <laughs> criticisms yeah. in this story mm-hmm. like he definitely had some opinions yeah but um it's hard to tell how much of that leads into just the way paul is written in this and the way that chalamet plays him because he, yeah. he does play it kind of distant and reserved. And I can't tell also the fact that this is kind of just Denis Villeneuve's directing style. Like most of his movies just kind of have cold, distant characters. Mm-hmm. Um, even Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. I love that movie. Ryan Gosling's character is cold and distant. Um, even Amy Adams in Arrival is cold and distant. Like that just seems to be the way that Villeneuve kind of writes his characters and writes his worlds. Um, cause oftentimes they're very depressing stories. Right. And um, in a way the kids in prisoners are cold and distant. <laughs> sure. In a more literal gonna, sense. Well, but... Jake Gyllenhaal in that, in a way is kind of cold and distant. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, Hugh Jackman's yeah. just kind of yelling the whole movie, but you know, one, one of the Jake Gyllenhaals in enemy is. <laughs> sure. I love that movie so much. <laughs> um, yeah, Tyler, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I, I, I can't quite tell if I have any criticisms of Paul or not. Yeah, I think hard to tell. I think to me it, it works and everything's good. I think that they do a good job of working in some of the oh, he can kind of see the future and he's getting these prophecies and he's starting to tap into that potential. Um I'm 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 here for it. I think they're I think it tracks, I think it makes sense what they're trying to do. I think it's also just there's going to be more meat for him in the second one. Yeah. And I, and I I feel like in general Timothy Chalamet is young. Uh yeah, totally. so like he's not I don't know. The, certainly there are performances from actors in their mid 20s who are like which are very good performances. But also I feel like he's got room to mature as Yeah. An actor <laughs> and so i'm not i'm not too like oh my gosh i mean it's kind of the same thing with tom holland like oh tom holland does some good stuff sometimes yeah. here, here for that i'm not really gonna be too down on him if he's not uh 
you know, putting out Oscar worthy material the rest of the time. Sure. Yeah, no, I think I think he's I think he's solid in it, and, and part of it really is just oftentimes in stories like these, the other characters are more colorful, mm-hmm. and they just have they have jokes or they have fight scenes, or they just have something that, like you said, Alex, the main character usually is just the avatar. Um, uh, although Ang Avatar Ang was a very compelling, rich, colorful character, but what do I know? Sam Worthington <laughs> Avatar was not. <laughs> <laughs> he was blue. <laughs> That's a call. sometimes Jake Sully, I believe, was his name. Jake Sully, long live Duke Jake Sully. Are we eventually gonna have to to do those movies if James Cameron ever makes good on all these threats he's been making? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's yes, we are. I'm, go- that's, I'm gonna do I, it. I'm gonna do it. I think that might be I'm the best way to frame <laughs> the Avatar sequels. <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, but no, the, the I, thing that I latched on to this time in particular was kind of the nuances of Paul's arc. And it really is kind of a a very kind of cynical call to adventure story. Um, and I, I remember watching it the first couple of times and feeling that at the end when he starts trying to be more proactive and like, no, I'm making my own decisions. We need to go, um, you know, talk to the Fremen and, and try and, and figure out what, what the situation is. I'm not leaving the planet i'm not i'm you know this is my home now i belong to the desert or whatever i remember all of that feeling like it kind of came out of nowhere um but even at the beginning like that scene between um paul and his father at the uh the gravesite um i think is is just super super important and just kind of the motif of the bullfighting um and kind of the the kind of accepting a dangerous situation when it's thrust upon you and kind of uh being able to deal with that um and kind of accepting if it is destiny or you know whatever you want to call it um and kind of dealing with that and and kind of having Paul question the whole time of like I think these space witches are just trying to trick everyone <laughs> yes yeah. and then he gets to the end and he's like all right, I'm falling for the trick. Let's do this. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe they had the right idea. Maybe I, maybe I do need to, uh, you know, whip up some some rebels to uh, kill all these other houses. Yeah, but it is really neat. Like the the fact that he ends up killing Jamis in that knife fight, mm-hmm. but we have the preceding visions of him like learning things from Jamis. Like Jamis is teaching him things. Yeah, and it's all just trickery to set him up for that fight. It, I, I love how all of that is handled. That's that's really, really neat. And apparently they did shoot that knife fight in for the original, and it's they cut it out for time. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. I like the actor who played Jamis. I can't remember his name, but I, I enjoy yeah. him as well. And I know like a lot of people were, you know, kind of miffed that Zendaya isn't in the movie more. Uh, which I that one I do get because she is in a lot of the promotional material. She is very no. big oh, on the it is wholly manipulative. <laughs> it is very, and I but I also understand that like she has a totally different fan base. So like you're trying to get in as yes. many. I totally get that from a marketing standpoint, but it's like you really need to make clear to people. No, no, no. There's going to be a second one, and she'll be in that one in a big way. I'm pretty we're, sure we're all the trailers start with her like standing in the desert like with Probably. narration like all of them yeah. started that way yeah 
the other best performance is the sandworms. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. They look so good. I, I I what what do they call the walk that they do? That goofy the like dance. Is it literally it, just the sand walk? There's not like a weird alien name no, I that they. Well, I think that's what Paul calls it. There okay. might be it's, a there might be a, a, a Fremen term. Yeah, I think there's. I don't think it's like I, an alien. I know that they kind of bre- they kind of glaze over the sand walk. I still think that's a little too silly. <laughs> I think a sandworm, like with how big it is, like detecting such minuscule movements when it's like you are going on a linear path you could just walk i don't know that whole concept is it's interesting but i just i I don't know that was they could it's a little weird they could probably get into it more i mean the idea is that they're super the worms are super in tune with every single vibration because like that has to do with the spice and like how they yeah because and i think we it'll get into this in the next movie because the um spice is created by the worms and that's like that they talk about that in the in the 80s movie i believe um but that's like kind of a bigger reveal as they they realize you know where what the origins are and and how the fremen are actually kind of in control of all of this um or at least in tune with the planet uh desert that, power <clears throat> yeah desert power um so the idea is that they're supposed to be super sensitive. And so what they're trying to do when they do the walk is imitate like wind. Like it's supposed to feel very like, oh, that's erratic so and random, so it has to be just some some breeze for the worms to sense, as opposed to like, oh, there's something that's very clearly making the same rhythm over and over, and therefore I recognize it. Gotcha. It's it's, it's sci fi logic. It's a little Getting a little out of the realm of hard sci-fi, but it is a thing. Well, I think this me. is more on the on the side of uh, more more fantasy than sci-fi. Sure, which I'm fine with. That's not a problem. Um, yeah, more Star but, Wars than Star Trek. I uh, I mean, I it's like... definitely it's definitely more on the side of Star Wars than yeah. Star Trek. Uh, that is the way. There, Although not the... politically speaking, because Star Wars, unless you get to the prequels, is not really about the politics. Anyways, no. Britain, continue. No, uh, well, I really liked uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster, who played um, Kynes. She's awesome. Yeah. Wish we got more of her. She's so good in this. She does have that great bit where she's being chased by the Sardaukar, and then she just starts pounding on the ground. And then a Sandworm just comes up and eats them all like a Sarlacc. <laughs> it's yeah. great. I'm not sure how I felt about that music beat. Because she, mm. she basically is prepping to ride a sandworm, which I really like the way that that's... Because a lot of people, when they're, you know, people that don't know Dune, if they're watching that, they're, they're going to have no idea what she's cu- trying to prep for there. Yeah. Um, But then once you watch the second movie and Paul will learn how to ride sandworms and then you go back to watch it, you're like, oh my God, she was going to try and ride one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I didn't like the beat of right... She's about to ride it, and it's kind of just a, a still shot on her, and she gets stabbed. And then the chanting starts as she kind of rolls down. Um, I thought that was just weirdly timed. I thought that was a little silly. <laughs> it felt a little overbearing, I guess. Yeah. Are we excited for uh, the Emperor to be played by Ian McDermott? <laughs> oh, that would be really good. <laughs> If he starts talking oh. about 
Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya being a force dyad or whatever, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Spice must flow. <laughs> Spice dyad. Spice dyad. Acting. Oh, that would be really good if he were the emperor. Now, uh, we've been throwing around Fade Routha fan casts. I have decided the only acceptable Fade Routha casting is Saoirse Ronan. Well, because she's my favorite part of Little Women. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Is when she punches Chalamet in the arm. I think it's so funny. And it would be great if if they just completely retconned it and she kills Paul. (laughs) Because they've already worked together two or three times. So, like, it'd be so good if Saoirse just rolled up. It's like, yeah, I'm Fade Routha. Whatever. And she just starts beating up on Chalamet. Oh, that'd be so great. Dane DeHaan is who I'm assuming it's going to be. Uh, apparently, the, I. this is not an apparently, this is not news. This is fan casting. For, but some, uh, well, apparently, uh, Barry Keoghan, Keegan. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has said that he's like, oh, I would love to do that. That'd be a great role. And I'd love to work with Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sure. maybe. I feel yeah. like a lot of the time when actors come out and say stuff like that, usually... I don't know that it's like sometimes that's smoke indicating fire. Yeah. Um, Look, that'd be I, good. I don't, I think, he'd I, be don't good think I don't think age should be an object here. I think we should be able to go wherever we want. And I'm going to pull from our old, our, our old, uh, well of halt and catch fire folks. Um, uh, Lee pace. <laughs> See, you say Lee pace. Uh, I really think Scoot McNary would be better for that. Or Only Toby to- Huss. Is Toby Huss is or the Toby emperor. Huss. Yeah. Well, now, heck, we need to get all the spice, so I guess they're going to betray the Atreides. Betray the chats, funny, right there. Now I sound like Ted Lasso, I guess. Anyway, I guess no, I'm it's, just going uh, the, to the, the, the emperor is Palpatine, and yeah. Fader Alpha is Toby, is Toby Huss. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you must kill Paul the Atreides. And he's like, well, <laughs> all right, I guess I, uh, I, guess I can, can do that. Can Fader Alpha be uh, Roy Kent? <laughs> Not not Brett Goldstein. Can Fader Alpha be the character Roy Kent as Fader Alpha? Why can't do, I was going to say we can't do an impression of him. We don't. No, I can't swear on this pro- <laughs> that's, podcast. That's a good point. But <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to. This is fun to think about. Actors. I was going to ask uh, a a mostly unrelated question that involves two of the actors in this of of like Timothy Chalamet Zendaya. Tom Holland, Cody Smith McPhee. There's probably someone else I'm missing who's like in that same range of like Scoot people. McNary. A- Scoot A- McNary. Aza Butterfield. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like Logan you... Lerman. Yeah, I think I think Logan's above. Like he's 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 yeah. not in that cohort. Ty Sheridan. Aza Butterfield might be. Yeah, Ty Sheridan. Uh, who who is going to be like? A known actor in forty years. I want to know this. I want to know who's going to be like making Cody's, the prestige. Cody thing. Smith's the only one with an Oscar nomination. But Zendaya, but, like, ha- w- but Zendaya has an Emmy. I wouldn't expect any of them to really have done that much by now. Yeah. I'm just like, I assume some True. of them will continue to make movies, and then down the line will actually be like, like a like a Leonardo DiCaprio, like a yeah, oh, yeah, you, yeah. They made movies when they were young, and they're still making movies. I'm very curious. Say, about I'd say either Cody or Zindi, which they is might just my be... cool nickname. Yeah. For her. 
Because she has like my, actually transitioned from being like tween star yeah. to like respected award winning actor <laughs> already, and like I think that's a pretty good, pretty good sign. I'm gonna have to go with Ty Sheridan. I think uh, the second Ready Player Two comes around, <laughs> <laughs> or this or the sequel to Tree of Life, <laughs> who. Which, which is Ready Player Two. <laughs> I was going to say, who's going to direct Ready Player Two? Because it's not going to be Spielberg. They're not going to get him back for yeah, that. He's got better things to do. He's going to be like, what is this? It's going to be freaking like Ruben Fleischer or somebody or yeah. Jerry Fiona. Col- no, Colin no, 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 no. Who, who wrote Ready? Who wrote the book? Oh, uh, Ernest Klein, I think. I think this is going to be his, his big move, his, his big mm-hmm. break into Hollywood. He's mm-hmm. going to be like, all right. I yeah. saw how the big boys do it. Now I'm I'm ready. And it's going to be we're the not... biggest disaster in Hollywood history. I don't think we're lucky enough for Jordan Vogt Roberts to get it. So. <laughs> sure. True. Maybe um, Greta Gerwig. <laughs> Greta, Greta Gerwig just walks in on day one and is like, yeah, we're not doing this book. Uh, it's <laughs> no, we'll call- I, Name's I'm fine. changing it. Ready Player we're, Two, that's great. But we can keep just... the name, but the story is The Awakening by Kate Chopin. We <laughs> still call it Ready Player Two. <laughs> I have also decided Ready Player Two. My my suggestion is Kelly Reichardt, but the only video games she brings in are like Mist. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like, it's all obscure '90s CD-ROM. Yeah, or it's like Journey and Flower. It's like <laughs> Life mm-hmm. is Strange, mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff. Wow, this this Monkey uh, Island. This, this production assistant keeps trying to bring in uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park or Chaos Island, I should say. <laughs> this uh, this obscure video game from the mid nineties. <laughs> and for some reason, it's Alex with a fake mustache, and you don't need mm-hmm. a fake mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fun directors that could make the movie. Mm-hmm. What is directing? Well, I think I, it's someone who makes order out of chaos. The the internet defines directing. <laughs> as... Let me Google that real quick and see how many. You know, you know, Britain. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the exact opposite. I think it's someone who creates chaos out of order. You know, <laughs> one of the questions that they pop up on Google says, "What do you mean by directing? <laughs> <laughs> what is?" What are the four elements of directing? What do you mean by directing? Is that a direct quote from Roland Emmerich? Communication, supervision, motivation, and leadership are the four essential elements of right. directing. Can I can I go on a quick rant here? Can, can no. I please? So, <laughs> and another thing about so Roland that, Emmerich. So that, that god-awful movie, I haven't seen it, called Moonfall, <laughs> Moonfall. just came out yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. And Roland Emmerich has been doing the rounds, giving all the hot takes, because he thinks he's, he's smart in Scorsese. Mm-hmm. And he's going Twitch on channel. and on. And to be clear, we have no proof he's not Martin Scorsese. I mean, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen them no, in a room together. No, I haven't. Exactly. Wait, yeah, I can't wait to make Moonfall. I mean, Killers of the I'm, Flower look, Moon. I think it's only natural to jump from making Casino to the '98 Godzilla. I think it's only <laughs> natural. I think all of Roland Emmerich, Emmerich's movies are Martin Scorsese trying to co-opt big budget movies to make references and homages to like historical film. Cause like Moonfall, 
the the that one fancy French movie with the rocket going into the eye yeah. of the moon, whatever it's called. He, yeah, I, uh, trip to the moon. I think trip to the moon. There we go. We're, how we're would you get away the... from a? Wait, how would you get back from the moon? You would fall. Aha! <laughs> we're, we're putting more thought into this than Emmerich has and in any of his Godzilla. Godzilla, man, that's that's a classic. That's yeah, cinema for sure, right there. I really saw him as a sort of king of comedy type. <laughs> I just thought when he was jumping into the to New York Harbor, there's a real king of comedy moment. <laughs> That's something that he would do. But obviously, he's been making. Roland's been making the rounds. He's been, and of course, he, he was can't on sh- Kelly Clarkson. He can't and shut all his shows. mouth about modern Hollywood and and mm-hmm. remakes and whatever. But he decided to target superhero movies because, of course, he did. God. And he's like Marvel movies and DC movies. It's all boring to me. They're all the same, and I don't like making the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and I just went, what? <laughs> In fairness, I don't think Moonfall is like Midway. <laughs> How is the Moonfall like a Midway? That's true. If you've got if you've got like separate movies to break up making the same thing over and over again, then yeah. I guess you get a pass. It, it would be Godzilla and the Patriot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got, <laughs> he's 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 exiting um the studio lot after making a uh, independence day resurgence. And he's like, yeah, I kind of blew everything up again. Um, <laughs> can I do a world war two picture before I try it to, before I circle back around? To that? Hey, do you guys think we're the only podcast to in a episode about Denis Villeneuve's Dune talk a lot about Roland Emmerich? <laughs> yeah, probably to somehow find a way. And also theorize that Roland Emmerich is Martin Scorsese wearing a mask. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Emmerich enough does. of Emmerich's <laughs> you, movies to even have were, a grudge. <laughs> you were just saying that he's hating on superhero movies. What do you? I mean, what do you? What more proof do you need? Really? I mean, look. I mean, the only thing if he had said roller coaster or theme park anywhere in that blurb, it would have been too easy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he can't, he's thinking. He can't give the game away, but the old, he's, the old gears are turning inside Emmerich's noggin. He, he's seeding the plot in, <laughs> in different levels of cinema uh, society. <laughs> this is all a build-up to Martin Scorsese coming out and directing uh, Spawn <laughs> <laughs> and starting well, a Image Comics movie verse. He's it was, he's he's just he's he's eating away at the foundation and he's going to start his prestigious comic book superhero uh, franchise. He's going to bring bring class back to the masses. We know it was just very important to me that the cape effects look uh, very, very realistic. And so we really focused on that. Uh, Todd McFarlane and Martin Scorsese sitting down and having a conversation is just something I can't picture. <laughs> no. I, I can. You, I feel yeah. like I can picture it. I don't know what Todd McFarlane looks like, so. But I think I also do. Yeah, I think you do. <laughs> I think I'm kind of close. But <laughs> are you picturing Zack Snyder? Because I'm pretty sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Zach. Are we grading Dune? No, I don't think there's anything else we we haven't really like covered about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
Um, I, I will give it an A. I think it is a wonderful piece of work. Really, as like I said, I was, I've been getting together my like top 10 and my various superlatives of the year. And Dune, maybe just because I've, I, the recency bias, other movies were starting to kind of take, trying to edge it out in a few places. But after rewatching it, I was like, I think it might be back in the top 10. Like I really, mm-hmm. it's just really impressive. Um, and I really, it's a, it's a real toss up. The score for power of the dog is so wonderful. Um, but the score for this is really terrific. Shang-Chi also had a great score. So we've, we've had some pretty good music this year and like, this is just really top tier for me. And I, I, yeah, I just think it's a terrific, terrific movie. And if you haven't read the book, I still do encourage you to watch it because yep. like it, it is more accessible than you think it is. Can confirm. Yeah, it is a, a good um, time. I think I'm also going A, and I don't know that I have a great reason not to go A plus. I just time. I feel like it's not it's not time. I might revisit that after. I was gonna say earlier. I really hope that they taking into consideration that the first the, this movie was released still when theaters were pretty a pretty touchy <laughs> endeavor. I guess touchy is not the right word. A difficult endeavor sometimes with the pandemic still surging um i really hope that they have showings of this or like pair pair some showings of this with the second one um i would love to be able to go because i did not watch this in theaters i only saw it on on tv both times uh i would love to be able to catch this in the theater before the second one comes out a double feature in imax would be yeah it has come back it's back in theaters at least in our area i think it is Mm -hmm. i'll have to look around should have planned that is that a, this episode <laughs> yeah is that an oscar uh i think so thing? i think a few movies i think licorice pizza's back in theaters previous okay. britain recommendation okay. get there it's so good i think belfast might be might be out which i gotta check out happy feet too just because people like happy feet yeah too. <laughs> moonfall yeah the, the academy just got around to like and actually best picture happy feet too we we, we missed it last time we're nominating <laughs> it this year but it's great really yeah, it's awesome you know yeah whatever Everyone's totally talking about up. Twitter votes going to get Spider-Man an award. No, it won't. Happy Feet 2. <laughs> that I'm is Bob Oscar, and I'm assuming I'm insisting. That is the movie that Bob Oscar is played by Toby Huss. Uh, <laughs> I bet he had, Yeah. I'm Bob Oscar. Uh, not to repeat last week's debacle in, in terms of scoring, but I am going to go lower than both of y'all. I'm going to give it a B plus for right now. Oh, and that is okay. subject to change. Um, that hinges very much on how the second film mm. plays out. Um, like I said, it just feels kind of incomplete to me at this point. It's still really good, but it, it doesn't feel like a complete movie. And so I have to kind of dock it, um, a lot more than I feel like I might if I have the second piece. Um, but then also it's got kind of the Denis Villeneuve, like slight coldness to it. That's, you know, it, it, it takes a particular film like Blade Runner 2049 for me to really kind of get mm-hmm. into it and be fully on board with that. Um, but like some of his other movies, I, I, and this kind of falls into that trap. It just, it's, it's not quite hitting the mark of me getting emotionally invested in it the way that I want to, um, like Sicario well-made movie oh, right. i was kind of bored out of my mind by it I agree so yeah aside from the like traffic jam uh, sure. sequence which is fantastic it's a kind of a yeah i felt the same similarly yeah similarly yeah i feel weird yeah. giving it a b plus but there you go well no, that i mean 
Yeah, no, I that makes sense. I I think I would be all over if they do. I think they did this some with probably like the MCU and Lord of the Rings. Like there there were some showings of this when new movies were coming out. Like I think with the Hobbit they did this. Um, I would be I would be all over if they were, had like special showings that were just like you get, especially because this movie is only two and a half hours, and I guess kind of remains me seeing the next one. I say only, but this feels like a movie that could have ended up being three hours, and then it's like. All right, this is <laughs> this ends up being an excessive event. But if you can give me two two and a half hour movies with like a fifteen minute intermission in between, I'll sit down <laughs> at the theater for that, and that would probably be a really cool experience. I bet, yeah. Like to get that that whole picture. So I'm sure. curious. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so my recommendation this week it's uh, it is a between Dune and the movie I'm going to recommend. Dune is my bigger recommendation. Um. Hmm. But I watch, but I still want to talk about the movie I watched because I would recommend it. I watched Spencer, oh. uh, the Princess Diana biopic uh, by Pablo Lorraine starring Kristen Stewart. I did not realize, but it's on Hulu. So <laughs> I was like, all right, Hulu, let's let's go. Let's dance. And I, I liked it. it it's an it, it's a build it, within the movie, like the opening title card says it is a fable based on a true tragedy. It's a sort of presumptive account of this christmas trip that diana and william and harry and everybody and the whole the whole fam uh had near Mm. where she grew up and what what happened over those those three days but it's a movie that doesn't take it doesn't go too far with that in presuming like well such and such event happened which would lead to x y and z event happening it's really more about trying to examine the the pain that she was in and the the tragedy of Diana and the pressure that she was under and using this like this real setting we just don't know anything about to kind of explore that um which i think is is nice and and diplomatic but it leads to my biggest problem with the movie which is it's pretty overwrought it's very very drenched in like Diana was tragic and she was sad and the pressures on her which are all real and like i really feel terrible for this woman and you know, it, it is definitely effective and it's good that it's doing that. And I thought it was a neat way to do a biopic than just like a, your standard like kind of day in the life or whatever, or trying to track her whole her whole life story or something. Or, or to do that approach where they're like, remember this famous interview? Here's Kristen Stewart doing that interview. Like we, we skip all of that. And uh, I think that so uh, the the actual movie maybe is is kind of hit and miss for me, um, but the the selling points are I think it's shot really beautifully. The music is really effective. Obviously, the costumes are great. Uh, Kristen Stewart is wonderful. Shocker. Okay. I was kind of bitter about when she was getting Oscar buzz for this because I was like, she's great anyway. It shouldn't take biopics to get people to respect actors. True. Which is just me having my own little uh, bitterness. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Though. Yeah, but but this is hashtag. Why didn't you give Willem Dafoe a sporting actor nom for Spider-Man No Way Home? That's a long <laughs> hashtag. A, it is a long hashtag, but it's worth it. Ah, uh, uh, that would be cool. As happy as I am with the Oscar nomination, <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been very good. I don't, I don't know that I'm actually serious about this, but sure, I'm also sure. kind of talking myself into being serious. <laughs> that would have been cool. But this is a performance that could so easily have just rested on makeup and hair. And at times it feels like a fashion performance, but it is it is a very felt performance. She is really good. The accent is really strong. Like, it's just, it ended up just being, yep, here's one more example of Kristen Stewart is great. And people were, were wrong about her after Twilight. 
Um, yeah, it, she's wonderful. There's also a great actor called Sean Harris in it. He played King Arthur in Green Knight, and he plays a the head chef who's one of the few people in the movie who's like nice to Diana. And between those two, like I really discovered him this year, and I really like him in both movies because they're both very delicate, soft-spoken performances. I'm a big King Arthur head, and so I've like loved him in, in Green Knight. Um, so he's really great. Sally Hawkins, Timothy Spall, um, are both very good. And uh, yeah, I, I it's not uh, of the leading actress nominees that I've seen. This isn't the movie that I'd be like. Well, actually, maybe it would be. I forgot mm-hmm. that uh, I forgot that Coda and Licorice Pizza are nominated for Best Actress, sadly. But um, <laughs> go watch Coda. Mm. Coda, just see Coda. <laughs> but I, I did like Spencer. I do think it is deserving of Kristen Stewart's Oscar nomination. She's wonderful in it, and uh, it's there's so much Diana stuff out there right now, musicals and seasons of shows and all kind of stuff. This is the only one I've seen, so I can't really compare it. I don't know that much about Diana, so it's hard for me to really say much more beyond just what everybody knows. But uh, I think it's a neat. It, it is a movie that I liked a lot more than I assumed I would. Uh, I do think it's a mixed bag, but I think there's more good stuff in there than bad. So it's on Hulu and it's called Spencer. We have covered Sean Harris on the podcast several times now, actually. He is the antagonist of Mission Impossible's Rogue Nation and Fallout. And he's the guy with the maps in Prometheus. I'm bringing it all back around. I think he was also... He might have been McDuff, Alex, in the Michael Fassbender. Yes. Yes, he was. Of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a wonderful actor. Well, do either of you have anything to report? I have a couple of recommendations this week. Um, first up is Blood Diamond. The Oh, yeah. 2006, 2007? Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember the year. 2006. Um... My first thought was it's an adventure film, but it's not mm-hmm. even really that. It's, but but it is it is it has the uh, story of, of that that would fit like an adventure style film of like oh you've got your ragtag characters that are going to, to into deep uh, enemy territory to get a thing, yeah. um, but it's set in Sierra Leone during the middle of like this huge a uh, civil war between you've got kind of these. Um, revolutionary fighters who are uh brainwashing kids into becoming child soldiers but then you've got a corrupt government on the other side so it's like neither side is good and you've just got innocent people being caught in the middle um Juman Hansu and he's kind of the main reason I I wanted to watch this because I was like I you know we we've talked about this before how he he's not really a leading man and he should be um and he's great in this. Wonderful. But he has been separated from his family, and uh, he ends up coming across this really rare, uh, <laughs> very expensive diamond. Um, and so he teams up with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a smuggler um, of diamonds, and they ba- basically try and go and find this diamond so both of them can kind of get value out of it. And Jennifer Connelly shows up as a reporter. Um I thought it was just a really compelling story. It's one of those movies that it almost feels like a really good book, like just kind of like a page turner in that way. But it feels like it's it's just got like several different sections to it. I don't know. The way it was structured, I was just like, this feels like a really, really good novel, like almost an epic. Um, And I liked it a lot. 
I know people have made fun of Leonardo DiCaprio's, um, I don't know if it's South African or whatever yeah, his South accent African. is. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not great with accents. <laughs> I can mostly tell you when people should be speaking different languages um, because <laughs> subtitles. Um, but uh, I don't know. That didn't bother me. I thought he was really good in it too. Jennifer Connelly, I think is amazing. Um, yeah, just like, like I said, it's very weird to call it an adventure film because it's very yeah. dark and very violent. But I, it was just, I don't know. It felt, it felt like it was doing a very, very good job, similar to Dune, of like showing you this world that you're really unfamiliar with, um, and kind of getting very detailed in in the mechanics of it, and just the the fact that you know blood diamonds, it's just like a very interesting concept, and they kind of keep talking about the ramifications of like, okay, we no no, we need to get this story out so people discover how what this process is like, how you know you basically have slave labor you know fishing the the or digging these diamonds out of the ground and eventually somebody finds it at a jewelry store how does that happen Um, yeah the the ending of that movie is quite chilling yes um so yeah very effective and i liked it a lot it's been a long time since i've seen it but there's a period of my life where that was one of my favorite movies it was my favorite dicaprio performance for a while Mm -hmm. and yeah jimon is fantastic in that 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 Uh, is a movie i am now considering adding to my collection um, yeah, I do that every once in a while with the, with the films that I watch and recommend, but this is definitely definitely one of those. Yeah. Collateral, yeah, I got another one. I got to uh, go back to that one. Uh, and then kind of still political, oddly enough, but a completely different style and direction and subject matter. I watched Bombshell. Oh, wow. The, uh, the film about uh, kind of all the sexual harassment um, goings on at Fox News with Roger Ailes. I'm going to kind of set all the political stuff to the side because obviously everyone has feelings about that part of it. So I'm going to separate that from everything else. Um, it's just a really, really compelling story about all of these different women kind of discovering their voices in a way and, and discovering that, oh, we're not powerless. Like there are other people that have been affected by this one man who's seemingly in complete control and kind of top down wants to keep everyone quiet and just kind of how slowly it's just like, no, 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 you can't stop this. Like he's going to get taken down one way or another. Um, and Charlize Theron, I, I'm not quite sure I can judge her performance as Megan Kelly because I've seen Megan Kelly before. So it's just like, it's very, mm. I can't even tell like if it's just prosthetics or if there's like digital enhancements on her to make her, it, it, yeah. Something about it doesn't look quite right, if I'm being hmm. honest. Um, so that was a little distracting. I thought her voice actually, it was a very good imitation. Um, it sounded just like her. Uh, but then uh, Nicole Kidman um, plays a Gretchen Carlson um, who kind of gets ousted from Fox News because she kind of uh, refuses to kind of just um, stay silent. Um, so she attempts to sue and that kind of starts this whole thing rolling. Um, and then Margot Robbie's character she's not an intern. She's like a new hire, um, at Fox. And I believe her character is completely fictionalized. Um, she's like a composite of different. Yeah. She's an amalgam of different kind of women that have have basically had horror stories during this time. Um, but it's, it's a good film overall and I would recommend it, but it, I think people have to be very wary of both the subject matter, of course, because obviously it's very, it's very serious. But then also, it it runs the risk of being 
Adam McKayified in spots. And by that I mean you've got people like narrating directly to camera in the middle of scenes, the music feels very stylized in an Adam McKay fashion. Um, I, I, I don't know if he was a producer on it, but it felt like he was, or like an executive producer. And it, it feels like during, you know, when you're watching the trailer or whatever, and maybe they did this, I can't remember, from the producer of, or from... You, I don't know. I guess he would have been a producer, but from the producer of Vice and and sure. uh, the Big Short, you know, it feels kind of like that. Um, so at some points, like it felt like the style was kind of overtaking the seriousness of the story. Sure. Um, but I don't know. It's still clearly very compelling, and I enjoyed it quite a bit for um, kind of setting aside some of that stuff. Um, but. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. It's it's just very interesting. Like I'm still thinking about it. I'm still kind of processing a lot of it. Um, but one of the things that I found after that, Megan Kelly actually did a video with some of the women who were either fired, um, before Fox or you know they they had um horror stories involving Roger Ailes, um, and I think that's a very interesting companion piece to be paired with the movie. Um, because I was curious, I was like, is how much of this is made up? How much of it is, is accurate? Um, cause I think when you have this kind of subject matter, you shouldn't really play around and just make up a bunch of stuff. And apparently, even though like Margot Robbie's character is fiction, um, apparently a lot of the interactions and like the serious stuff is at least based on reality. And it was very mm -hmm. accurate in that way. Um, so it sounds like most of the stuff that they changed was either just because it has to fit a two hour film or, you know, just to, just to kind of, you know, make it more efficient in terms of telling a story. So, hmm. Tyler, do you also have a recommendation that's a biopic about an oppressed blonde lady? <laughs> Three of them in this case. <laughs> yeah. No. Four if you count <laughs> Kate McKinnon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tyler's going, oh, let's see, I watched Harry and the Hendersons. Would I call him blonde? <laughs> I mm. don't think I... Uh... I have one to pull from. No, I don't really have a recommendation. Um, go go read some comics. Yeah. Read enough comics. My what are you reading right now? What are you working on? I've been reading uh, like the X-Men from the mid 2000s hmm. and also uh, the original Vision and Scarlet Witch comics that kind of like a lot of the stuff that went into wandavision yeah um, and those are neat i don't they're not like things that i'm like oh man sure. i gotta go tell everyone about this but they've been good nice nice speaking of marvel comics next week uh we're gonna put on our nerd glasses mm -hmm. and really mm -hmm. geek out uh what are we talking get about on our, week, get in our roller coaster <laughs> yeah. uh get out our flavor of the week ice cream <laughs> guys this is a very weird way to build up our moonfall episode <laughs> and I'm, I'm talk about moonfall <laughs> i'm gonna get off of this tiny river and get right back into the mainstream mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we're watching it <laughs> we're watching eternals um which alex and i have not seen yeah i'm excited uh, i'm very curious yeah. i'm not like i i would say i like the movie and i think a lot of it goes into knowing the director and knowing the cast uh right. And so I, there's a lot of stuff I enjoy about it. Uh, 
but I don't I really have no idea like what grade I'm going to land on at the end of it. And I'll be very curious to see. I'm not going to be like offended if either of y'all are like, wow, that was terrible. Um, we'll get into it. I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah, I'm excited. I see I'm looking forward to it. A B in your future. In my future specifically? Or yes. Is that your? That that's very. That could be. In mine, I see a C because I always see a C. <laughs> <laughs> you see a C until you're convinced otherwise. Correct. What do you see in, do you see in my future? Is 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 it sexy? <laughs> I don't know. Is like a B minus. I mean, that, that's that's like actually what I was going to say. Right? I, I think B minus. I think that's <laughs> so. Give it a week. Everyone can then send messages that I won't read about how wrong I was about my predictions because yeah. I've never been wrong before. And uh, you know, then we'll move on with our lives. Yeah. Um, and if you want to listen to us move on with our lives uh, you can find <laughs> us on herecomethesequels.blogspot.com we're on twitter at HTT sequels you can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com we are on uh, spotify uh, I've, I've thrown off the usual thing because we've changed up the platforms around a bit but we're on spotify and we're on uh, apple podcast and, and the various things that you can get your podcast on so yep next week we'll there. talk about why uh, B minus is the sexiest grade? Yeah, <laughs> I've been Alex. <laughs> I've been Tyler, and I guess call me B minus or Britain, and you're having a good night.